you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. What would lead a music director to a career in computer coding? How can you get people to read your online posts even if the content seems at first to be bland? Is it really necessary to create an explosion every time I light the grill? And why did Nikola Tesla wiggle his toes a hundred times every night? Stay tuned for the answers in today's podcast. Hey there, Innovation Nation. We are well into the new year, and you have a front row seat to an exciting year. 2015 will be a year of many firsts. Will you be one of the people doing amazing things? Keep listening here for the encouragement and inspiration you need to be an innovator this year. In the next month, we'll be speaking to a world traveler, a makerspace maven, a private investigator, and a titan of trash collection. We've also been out speaking to researchers who are chasing the bleeding edge of biotechnology. If you want to know the secrets to create, innovate, and change the world, stay tuned to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. We're excited to let you know that we're on Stitcher now for those of you who have friends on the dark side. You know, the Android users. If you have friends with an Android phone, tell them about the Tabletop Inventing Podcast on Stitcher. Just search Tabletop Inventing Stitcher on Google or look for Tabletop Inventing in the Stitcher app. As with iTunes, listen, leave us feedback, and keep on innovating. Our guest today, Ben Meredith, is a self-taught web developer who creates great WordPress plugins. If you aren't familiar with WordPress, it's a web kit to help average people start a website. Forbes says that 20% of the websites out there are now powered by WordPress. That's somewhere north of 60 million websites powered by WordPress. And Ben is developing plugins for this extremely powerful web force. So my guest today is Ben Meredith. Uh, ben is a self-taught WordPress plugin developer, and so far he says he's had more than 3,000 downloads of his plugins, which I think is quite impressive. But he decided about 10 years out of college to teach himself how to code, uh, mostly using free resources from the web. And he's become fascinated by open source code and what that means for web development. He is also a husband and a homeschool dad and likes to lead music at his church. Ben, why don't you tell us a little more about yourself? Sure. First off, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, that was the short version of who I am. But, yeah, the, the maybe slightly longer version, I uh, was in full-time ministry for 10 years or almost 10 years right out of school. And um, over that time was just, you know, had no formal training in, you know, web space at all. I didn't have, you know, any coding background or anything like that. was a religion major in school and went, I guess using that degree uh, into uh, full-time ministry right out of school. And then uh, over that time just kind of became um, interested in web coding and web development. And when I found myself unemployed, um, 
here recently, uh, back in 2013, really decided to dig in and to learn kind of the not just what happens on the website or on the web, but why to to ask questions like how does how does it work to you know when I load up a web page, what's really happening? What's what's the server? What's the database? What's all this stuff? How does it all fit together? And that led me on the path uh, toward WordPress because it's huge. Uh, there's it powers like 20% of the internet. And so got in the WordPress pool and started swimming around a little bit and found out, hey, there's some needs that need filling here, some plugins that could be developed and so I developed those. And I'm in the process of supporting those, which is um, how I met you. Uh, and so that that's uh, kind of the short version of uh, who I am. So for the benefit of the audience, uh, my wife Debbie was doing some coding for our website and trying to automate some things and came across a plugin uh, that Ben had developed and had an additional question and emailed him. And as she usually does, she uh, does a quick Google search to see what else is out there and came across his website and was just uh, rather intrigued by the story. So I'm curious how... I mean, coming from a religion background and making your way into web development, how did that happen? <laughs> well, the simple explanation is I, I had a boss uh, in my full-time ministry gig who said, we need a website for this thing. Can you do it? <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't know, um, but I can try. And so I, you know, opened up my, my brand-new shiny Mac. I had just gotten a Mac, and I opened it up and popped into iWeb and tried to make a website, and it was like, okay, that's cool, and it sort of worked, and it sort of did what my boss wanted it to do, and that was the, the beginning. I didn't know at the time, obviously, but that was the beginning of the, the rabbit trail, because then you go, oh, well, I wonder if I could change the color on that thing, and of course, being way too cheap to pay for it for someone else to do it, I was like, okay, i got to figure out how to, how to do that myself, and so that led me to, you know, uh, okay, I can I can change the HTML and the CSS and the just real basic stuff like that to learn just little self-serving things, how to move the icon 10 pixels to the left or, you know, whatever. And then over time, that introduced me to web design in general. And actually, it was when I got uh, my first iPhone. I was I had the iPhone, the, the very first one, the one that was like 400 bucks without a contract or with a contract, 400 bucks, and my mom said it was just a terrible, impulsive decision and I should never have bought it. Um, this was before smartphones were, were cool. Um, and so mom tells me that, but it, it, that started me into blogging. And so I started taking pictures and uploading them to a little Tumblr website and, again, tinkering and not being willing to pay anyone to fix stuff that I came across was like, I should learn how to do that. And so that started me down the path and then uh, over a couple of years of blogging and being frustrated by the solutions that were out there to do exactly what I wanted it to do and, again, being too cheap to pay for someone to do it for me, I would fix that problem. And um, and then when I found myself unemployed uh, several years later, it's like, okay, I could go the route, you know, go into sales or go into marketing or go into this, but I really enjoy the coding. It, it's like a puzzle and a poem all at once because you can – say it in six different ways, you know, is how code works. And it's which one's the most efficient, which one uses the least resources, which one does does the thing that you want it to do in the most elegant way. And so that was what finally launched me into, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a developer. I'm going to stop calling myself just a guy who blogs or a guy who uses the Internet and, and start learning how to create 
on the internet and create code. So I don't know if that answers your question. That's as that's as close as I can get to the direct path between religion and uh, code. <laughs> well, that that's an interesting number of steps between those two things. The the religion background is actually a, a common point because our audience may not know this. At one point in my background, I had a a minor in religion as well, and I ended up in physics because I was thinking about teaching at some point and found out that uh, I was not cut out for the classroom. And I, I admitted, actually, on the most recent podcast that I went to get a PhD because I thought it was easier than going to the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> and I still think that's the truth. I have a lot of respect for classroom teachers, but I started off in religion and went to teaching and ended up in physics. Anyway, I wanted to ask you a few more questions just to get our audience familiar with some of the other things that you do. And I was noticing from your website and a little bit on your blog, you, you have some sales background also. And on the web, there's a lot of emphasis on building audience and helping people know what you do. And I was just really impressed reading what you had there. What gave you that experience to be able to write some really good stuff on the web? Is that just the blogging experience? Was it the sales experience? Where'd that come from? Well, very early on when I first started blogging or, you know, it, it was more of like a journal. Like, okay, I, I want to talk about this. So I'm just going to talk about it online. And then I got kind of hooked into this, the idea of a powerful idea that on the web everything's measurable because you can put analytics on your website and then go back and see how many people clicked on us page and how long they stayed there and so for a brief moment there my wife can attest I became very addicted to my analytics and going in there and <laughs> tracking how, how many people have been on my site and what countries they came from and how long they stayed there and I noticed a trend um, and it was I would put up a piece of content and sometimes I'd even have little videos and things like that and it was like a six-minute video on my page and the average page view time on that page was like two minutes and 30 seconds. And so that was an eye-opening thing for me. It was like, okay, people don't care about what you're <laughs> saying online. <laughs> you know? And so that started me thinking, okay, how can I make people care? Um, and, you know, it's my personality. I like to, for the Myers-Briggs people, I'm a E in the I, but the NTP um, on the Myers-Briggs, and I'm, I'm kind of a debater. I like to I like to win debates. I like to talk. I like, to, you know, I think think out loud and the <laughs> verbal process or all that kind of stuff. And so I was like, how can I persuade people to actually in my stuff, you know, somebody other than my mom to read an entire post about my, my grandson or her grandson or whatever. And so, so that was kind of the, the beginning of, at the time I wouldn't have called it sales, but um, now having done some sales since then, it was definitely the same. It's the same thing. It's persuading people to, to care enough to act. And in this case, it was I was trying to get people to, to click through to a certain link or whatever. And that, that employment bio that you mentioned on, on my site that I wrote, I wrote it with a very clear objective when I started. I was like, okay, I'm going to split this thing into five parts so that I can measure how many people make it all the way to the end of, of the five-part employment bio because there's a call to action at the end, hire me, <laughs> you know. And so I want to know how people to get through there. And so it really did start from just a desire for what I post on the Internet to be heard. You know, I, if, I don't want it to just be an echo chamber where I'm getting online and, you know, doing the, the typical uh, narcissistic just self-promotion, whatever, that nobody cares about and nobody's going to read and ultimately not going to make any difference for anybody, myself included, or the other option being that people could read and, 
and be excited about and either encouraged or motivated. That's, you know, when I was on, in full-time ministry, we raised support. We had to raise financial support, and so there was that motivation. I want people to, to give to my ministry. But now since then, uh, my my whole focus with with web stuff in general, as far as from the content side, uh, which I would be equate with my sales background, is is I want people to to care, you know, because um, Seth Godin, he's you know the thought leader in this this kind of area, but he talks about that attention is the biggest resource that is valuable these days. And if we can get people to give us attention and to actually care, that's what matters. And so that started that. And so now I think I think through it, you know, um, what, when I post something online, I'm like, does this is this something that only my mom would care about? And if so, I should probably just email my mom. Um, if not, I'm, you know, I could, I could recreate it and and make it into something that that is is useful. And so, for example, I I just did a a post a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago now. I'm a homeschool dad, and I help my wife with the homeschooling. She does most of it. I do a little bit of it. And my my side is mainly like the recess and music and things like that. And so, I wanted to do a post about this thing that we were doing for recess for homeschool and you want to talk about a boring topic no nobody but my mom would care about what i'm doing for recess for my kids homeschool and so um i started thinking through how can i make this fun or engaging or something that people would care about and with just a couple of tweaks you know now when i posted it you know, it, instead of having the the four views that I would have had, it had several hundred people, you know, clicked on it and 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 were excited about it. And so, it's just a small tweak in in kind of my mindset when I post something is is how can I make this interesting or funny or engaging or something like that. That's the the salesman in me, I suppose. Well, I want to tell a thing before we dive into the, the questions that uh, relate to sure. education. Let's go back to this, the specific sales experience you have that you've been paid for. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I um, When I became unemployed in 2010 from my, my ministry position, I started looking for just anybody that would hire me. I have two small kids and a beautiful wife, and they all love to eat. And so I started <laughs> looking for just an opportunity to, you know, how can I make, make the ends meet? And so Starbucks was the first place that hired me. Um, and Starbucks is a great company. Really enjoyed working there. The problem being that pay mostly in coffee, not in money. But the <laughs> Starbucks was just a, a great experience. It was kind of the beginning of my sales experience. They put me in the drive through window. I was horrible at making the drinks and very, very slow at making the drinks. Um, and so they, they instead decided to put me in the window, engaging with the customers that drove up in their car and they ordered coffee and they want their coffee. And so I have to entertain them while their coffee's being made to distract them from the fact that they don't have their coffee yet. And so it, it just an exercise in small talk. And it was so much fun for me to try to make people, you know, make their day or whatever. And so that was that was the beginning, and and we had sales goals and things like that. That as a store, we needed to meet, you know, sell X number of this product and X number of that product, and whoever can sell the most gets a free coffee mug or something like that at the end of the week. Again, they pay in coffee; they don't pay in money, and it's a, a great company. Other than that, and so that led me to retail sales. I got a job with AT and T selling phones, and it was a another great 
company. Um, they paid the pay was great, and it was a commission-based sales position. So I, I actually got paid money for selling things that they wanted me to sell or things that I wanted to sell or whatever. And so uh, I was there for a little over two years. Um, some of that was overlap. So I was at Starbucks at five in the morning selling coffee, and then I would go to the AT&T store and stay till eight o'clock at night selling phones and standing up the whole time. And so that was the, the, the perk being that one of those stores let me take free coffee and, and stay awake all day at the other one of those stores. Um, and so, yeah, retail sales was great. I learned that I, I really enjoy selling stuff to people uh, when I'm looking at them. But that led to my next job, which was uh, a phone sales job, a telesales position for a little local company here uh, selling websites. And so I was cold calling people all over the nation selling them website solutions and it was awful because I'm not good over the phone at selling things to people. I think it's my southern accent or something, but whenever I would <laughs> get on the phone with somebody from New Jersey, I couldn't speak fast enough for them to not hang up on me. I'd hi this is Ben and I'd say the company name and they'd say click. <laughs> so I learned I learned that I was no good at selling things when I wasn't looking at people. I, I excelled. I was very good in the top of my store, in the top of the region for, for AT&T selling phones, but selling over the phone I was no good at because I wasn't it's – a, it's a certain skill set that I didn't have. <laughs> so that job lasted about 53 days, roughly, um, and they uh, got rid of me. And so that was what led me to my second round of – of complete unemployment, uh, which which then bled into this this new developer bin that that develops websites and not just websites but the plugins that run websites and and things like that. And so this is round three of who I am as a human. So first I was a campus minister and then I was a salesman and now I'm uh, a web developer. So well, that's a really interesting chain of events. And one of the things we really like to delve into on the podcast is this question about what is the purpose of an education. We're not quite ready to delve into that because I want you to look back over your experience because you have a unique perspective on this one question we start out with on the education side, which is given, you know, Google and Wikipedia and Bing and, you know, the whole Internet that's out there. What does it mean to be educated? And you have a unique perspective on that. Tell us what it means to be educated in that environment. What it means to be educated. I like one one of the uh... – the podcast guest you had answered the question. I think it was Meg Backus. She answered the question that education is liberation or to be educated is to be liberated. And I really like that. But I, I think for me, I'd even take it a step farther back that, that someone who's educated has the tools with which to understand the world um, and the, the, to understand their place in the world. And so I think to be educated is, is it's more than just information and facts because, like you said, Google and Bing and everybody else is, is out there. I can get facts all day long. My phone can tell me what the temperature is in Zimbabwe right now. And there's plenty of facts out there. But knowing how to process that information, having the, the tools to act on what the temperature is in Zimbabwe and why that matters in the world, that's an education. And also, as a homeschool dad, I get to see that too because I'm not only am I excited about you know what I'm learning, but but watching my kids grapple with these concepts and giving them, you know they they're growing up in a, a world that is totally different from the one I grew up in, where they've got infinite knowledge 
facts just sort of at their fingertips, but at the same time, I still have to give them the building blocks to, to learn how to use that information. And the other day I was walking down the sidewalk with my son. He's six, and um, his name's Ben or Little Ben, Benjamin. So we're walking down the, the sidewalk outside of a toy store, and he's just learning to read and string, string letters into, into sounds and words and, and meaning. And so we're walking down the street and, and past a toy store, and we see uh, it's like a little toy sitting out there. I don't remember what it was, but there was a sign above it that said something like sale $5 or for sale two for five dollars, whatever it was. And you, you saw him have this moment. You could see his face. He was like, there's a toy. I want that toy. What if that sign says free toys? You know, you could see him like, <laughs> process, you know, like what if what, what does that mean? And so you know, he stops and he leans in, and he wasn't wearing his glasses because he always forgets his glasses. And he he was squinting at the sign. He's like, sale, 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 dad, what's a sale? You know, and it's like he he turns and looks at me, and it was like this beautiful moment of he's. He's now, because of the tools we've given him, because he's learning to read and because he's learning to put letters together to make concepts out of them, he looks at me and goes, what's a sale? And I was like, sale means you can buy it. And he's like, oh, okay, how much? And I'm like, well, keep reading. And, he, you know, and he, he read the rest of the thing, and he's like, $5. Oh, Dad, Dad do you have $5? Can, you know, and, and so it comes very quickly an economics lesson uh, about work and making your own money so that you can buy toys but anyways it was it was very fun for me to see him starting to use those tools that he's got to be useful you know in his, in his world so yeah the short answer was it mean to be educated is you have a, a developed tool set to with which to engage the the world around you and, and understand your place in it so you took the tools and you managed to teach yourself some new skills that you didn't have uh, coming out of college. Where along the way did you learn how to synthesize all that information? Was it in college? Was it before that? Was it in the process of teaching yourself? And how did you learn that process of learning how to learn? It was probably my seventh grade teachers. Um, I was in this program where there there were teachers that taught. A curriculum that they sort of team taught. There was like a a guy that there, there was science and math and and uh, English language arts, social studies kind of teachers, but they all taught together and they they did stuff like it was it was awesome. Uh, I'm so thankful for my my education, my formal education. Like we took a trip to the Florida Keys that year. We're in North Carolina. We went down to the Florida Keys for like a week or might, might have been longer than a week to, to like study marine biology and all this cool stuff. But the gift that those teachers really gave me, and I, I, I'm thinking of Mr. Clausett in, in, uh, in particular, I just remember him teaching me how to learn, not just – and part of it was he was teaching me how to – to, to memorize facts and to regurgitate those facts and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But he also taught me how to, to think critically. And so I, I really think that was the starting point was even as early as middle school, um, I had some fantastic teachers um, that really taught me how to, how to think about things. But then, honestly, um, I kind of coasted all the way through high school. Like, eh, I, I knew how to give the teachers the answers that they wanted and 
get the A or B or C or what you know whatever it took to get out of the class and and keep doing whatever it was that teenage boys want to do. And then it wasn't until after college really that I discovered again, and that's so sad for me to say that I spent thousands of dollars on an education <laughs> that I now look back on and go, man, I really kind of coasted a lot of that time. It, you know, not that I didn't learn anything in college. I learned a ton in college, but I didn't really appreciate the, the value of what I was doing because I was just kind of, yeah, this is what you do. You go to high school, then you go to college, and then you get a job. And it was after after college that I really started to get a, an appreciation for the fact that like there's some really powerful stuff out there and and so that's that was kind of the beginning of the resurgence I would say was you know I was 22 23 years old and learning how to do web stuff and obviously the the advent of the internet and all of the uh stuff that all happened when I was in college you know around that time was when the the web started to explode and all that that stuff but yeah it was really a couple of years later that I really started to to use that information in a productive way. And, yeah, it wasn't until the last couple of years that I really – specifically to web coding. But. Wow. So we're going to wrap it up here pretty quick. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stay on just a little bit after we do. But the f- question we like to wrap up with is what is the purpose of an education? And we've already sort of touched on that a little bit, but if you could wrap that up in a neat little package based on your experience – what is the purpose of an education? Uh, the purpose of an education is to to take those tools or to, to be equipped with to understand the world, to understand your place in it. And so, um, I mean, I even think as I look at what I'm learning right now, because it's a constant learning process, the web is always changing. There's, as soon as you learn one tool even, there's a new tool to learn. And so... As I look at that and as I look at my son who's learning, you know, a lot more fundamental things right now, it's it's really all about becoming a, a productive part of the world, you know. And I, I love what you guys say on your website about the moving from consuming to creating because there's so much in my life that my education and also my, my sort of the results of my education have, have driven me to the point now where I love to create things. It's, it's funny. I've got coming up here over the holidays, my in-laws are taking my two boys to their house for two days. And so I'm going to have like a full day of, of them not being around. And my wife has to work 10 hours of, of one of those days. So I'm going to have 10 full hours of, of nothing, which is unprecedented in my <laughs> marriage. Um, and so in eight years of marriage, I haven't had th- this amount of time I'm confident ever free. And so I'm going to have just nothing to do. And, and my wife said, what are you going to do? And I said, you know what? I'll probably spend it working on a WordPress plugin because there's so much more fulfillment out of creating something out of, you know, getting in there and, and making something work. There's so much more fulfillment out of that than there is going and watching sports or whatever. I'm sure if there's a sports game on that I'm interested in, I might watch it during that 10 hours. But that's the – it's cotton candy compared to the steak dinner that is creating something and making something is so much more fulfilling at the end of it. You're like, man, that was awesome. I've got this plug-in that thousands of people have downloaded and are benefiting from versus I played an entire round of 
World of Warcraft or what, you know whatever it is is fulfilling, but ultimately only for moments. Um, and so I think that's the point. Uh, the point of education is to get you to the to a place to get people to a place where they can be productive members of society and, and really realize what they're here for. You know why why are we here? What are we and what what are we doing to to make the world a better place? It's pretty cliche. That's really what I enjoy doing at this point, and I think it's because I've had the benefit of some great teachers that I've been put in some great situations throughout my formal education that that really landed me here. Wow. Thank you, Ben, for uh, wrapping that up neatly for us. I loved how you talked about uh, producing as steak dinner and consuming as uh, cotton candy. It, It does feel like that. So as we wrap this up, uh, we always give guests the opportunity to share with our audience how they can keep in touch. So why don't you let our audience know how they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. My website is benandjack.com. That's B-E-N-A-N-D-J-A-C-Q because my wife's name is Jacqueline. We call her Jack. Benandjack.com. Uh, and so you can check me out there. I'm also very active on WordPress, and all of my usernames pretty much the world over are Ben UNC. That's because I went to the University of North Carolina. So Ben UNC, B-E-N-U-N-C. That's like Twitter and Facebook and, and all that. So would love to, and my WordPress, WordPress.org forum names, which is where I met Debbie, which was fortuitous. Uh, I really enjoy helping folks out there, helping them use my, my plugins the right way. And so, yeah, would love to connect there. Thank you, Ben. We'll link all of that up in the show notes, and I appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Thank you. And now, today's great inventor secret, authenticity. Merriam-Webster defines the word authentic to mean true to one's personality, spirit, or character. We also often think of authenticity as meaning genuine, as it refers to art, or the original design of something. For instance, Maurizio Serracini is an authority on art authenticity. Through his work as an investigator into non-destructive testing techniques in art. Now he has actually been able to locate uh, some lost works of art using high-tech tools and his TED talk, The Secret Lives of Paintings, is a great exploration of how advanced technology has been used by the art world. We'll link that up in the show notes so you can actually listen to the talk. We also all know a few people who are most definitely not authentic. They copy trends and styles just a little too much. And when they talk, we hear echoes of things we've read on Facebook or heard on TV or in the news or in some movie somewhere. It just seems like they're never able to come up with some thought that is unique to them. So how is authenticity related to being a great inventor? To answer this question, let me recount some interesting facts about a man who is now experiencing a cult-following comeback, Nikola Tesla. Tesla is recognized as an inventing genius. I mean, he had an impressive record of about 280 patents. He's credited with our modern-day use of alternating current, the induction motor, and radio transmission, just to name a couple of things that he did. In addition, he invented some outlandish machines, such as his famous Tesla coils, that shoot lightning from a ball to earth ground somewhere. Well, 
even though Tesla was a genius and created some fantastic ideas and tested them, he was also quite eccentric. We're told that he ate dinner promptly at 8, 10 p.m. every day, and he slept only a few hours every night. He wiggled his toes at night a hundred times because he believed that it stimulated his brain. He was fond of things being in patterns of three. He was madly in love with a white pigeon, but never bothered to get married even though there were quite a few women who were quite taken with him. In short, Tesla was true to himself regardless of what other people thought. His life is at once a study in the scientifically profound as well as the psychologically absurd. Yet he never let any of that bother him. He was most definitely authentic. As people, we're often tempted to bend ourselves to the perception of others. But in so doing, we lose the capacity to innovate because we lose the ability to be ourselves. Humans are statistically unique. I mean, there is simply just too high a probability of variations, both in the genetic code and in the environment, to allow for identical humans. Thus, to bring our best to the table, we must bring ourselves, our unique authenticity. So in the interest of honest self-disclosure, I'll share a couple of things that are unique about me. For instance, I always light birthday candles with a blowtorch. Not making this up, just ask my kids. We haven't lit candles on a birthday cake with a match or a grill lighter in years. For similar reasons, I have a particular method for lighting a grill. Whenever we need to go out back and do the barbecue, I go out and turn on the propane and then turn on the gas to the grill and I just let it go for a minute. And our grill has a little cutout in the side and after letting it go for, I don't know, 10, 20 seconds, I'll take a grill lighter and light it and just put it up to that little hole in the side of the grill and the grill gives a great big whoosh and, and the lid pops up just a little bit and I always have a good giggle about that. I also once drained the power on a significant fraction of a city block because a friend wanted me to help him move the supply wires from his old fuse box to a new breaker box. Now, to be fair, at the time, I didn't realize that the upstream side of a breaker box is unfused. So there are no breakers. In short, if you do short out those wires, it will arc until the breakdown distance is too great or the electrical path is completely destroyed. Now fortunately, we just managed to deform a good pair of pliers, and I still have those silly pliers because I'm just too cheap to buy another pair. Now, you know, I certainly don't recommend you to do what I did. That's uh, foolish. In fact, if you don't take my lesson and learn from it, you're probably foolish too. Sorry, um, didn't mean to offend anyone out there, but there are just some things we should learn from others, but some things we just learn from experiences in life. And I'm one of those people that just learns better by experience. Why am I like this? Honestly, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's the way I came from the baby factory. The psychologists call me an ISTP, uh, on a Myers-Briggs test. What that really means is I'm the guy who will race along the edge of a cliff at 100 miles an hour. I don't worry though because I know that my 3 foot margin is enough. Now this drives my wife crazy, but then she says I hate it because you get harebrained schemes like burying a cargo container, true story, and then you figure out a way to pull it off. And 
she doesn't always say those things as a compliment. And, truthfully, screaming down the road of life at 100 miles an hour with my hair on fire is hard on my marriage sometimes. And because I love my wife, I'm trying to find a balance that's authentic. Now, I need to be able to light birthday candles with a blowtorch and explode my grill whenever I light it up. Uh, that just That's my personality. I have to be able to do some of those things. And as long as they're not dangerous and burn the house down and destroy the world, I don't think there's any reason to stop doing that. However, perhaps in some other ways, I can learn to soften the hard edges of my personality so my wife doesn't have to love me from a distance. It's my life. It's authentic. And it's what fuels my creativity. Some people think an authentic life means balance and holistic dieting and a whole long list of other things. Personally, I think living an authentic life is being true to that little voice inside that cries when you ignore it and sings when you listen. Have you been enjoying the Tabletop Inventing Podcast? Have comments or questions you'd like us to address? Contact us and we'll think through the comments and answer your questions here in the podcast. And be sure to let us know if you'd like a shout out or to remain anonymous. You can share your comments and questions at www.ttinvent.com slash podcast or by emailing us at podcast at ttinvent.com. Let's discuss your thoughts and questions. Join us again next time when we will again seek to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education? And as educators, how do we awaken the inventor in each of our students? Mm-hmm.